brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts, offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Down this road is a small city once thriving and full of life, but now desolate and abandoned. Well, abandoned save for the horrors rumored to reside within, which I presume is why you're here. Now there's nothing wrong with a little morbid curiosity, but please remember to stay close to your guides. We wouldn't want anyone to get left behind now. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Nopeville, our beautiful little city full of nightmares and terrors that make you say nope. <laughs> we're your tour guides. I'm Jen. I'm Christine. We're going to go back into the portal. And we're going way back in time. We're going way back in time. So first we're going to stop at the haunted island of Povelia. Yep. And then later we'll be stopping into a, a secret little location to meet Probably the only plague doctor left in existence. So make sure you check your tickets and sign your waivers for the portals. And even if you didn't sign your waiver. We're still not liable. It's it's kind of like on the sign. So It's more like a guideline yeah, like, than a legal binding document. So. Yeah. Just by you buying a ticket and showing up, you've, you've pretty much signed over your rights to us uh, exactly. losing you. Yep. First, we're going to start with a lovely review by one of our tourists. Yes. To highlight the lovely things you like to say for us. Yeah. This is from Bobby Joe, 1989. Bobby Joe says, Nopeville sounds like a place I would definitely visit. Um, You haven't been listening close enough. <laughs> <laughs> I love the style of your podcast. It's very unique with the tour idea. Y'all have amazing sound quality. You can definitely tell you put a lot of work into your research of your topics. I've listened to the first two episodes and can't wait for more. The sleep paralysis episode hits close to home since we talked about it on our podcast, and all of us have had experiences with it. Again, great job. Thank you, Bobby Joe. Unfortunately, we don't know which podcast that is, so we can't shout it out. Yeah, let us know. Send us a DM if you're Bobby Joe 1989. And we will be sure to shout you out. Yeah. Shall we get started? Let's get started with our plague tour. 
All right. So in order to discuss the tour focal points today, we first need to understand a little bit of the history behind the Black Death or the plague pandemic that devastated Europe between 1347 and 1352. Mm-hmm. This plague claimed the lives of between 25 to 30 million people. The bacteria that caused the disease was carried into Europe by way of Italy's ports, starting in Genoa. Remember in the first zombie tour, I mentioned that the Mongols used the first method of biological warfare? Oh, yeah. This was the time. That, again, like, it's fucking messed up, but genius. Yep. Their forces were being <laughs> decimated by the disease, so they started to catapult the infected bodies into the trading port of Kaffa. <sighs> which is now Feodosia in Crimea. Could you imagine, like, seeing... Just bodies, bodies come flying through the air? flung at you? No. Jeez. I can't. <laughs> Especially bodies with, you know, this specific plague. <laughs> so nowadays, we know that bacteria spread through these overcrowded cities and towns by way of contaminated water, lack of sanitation, and poor hygiene. Like, they were literally just dumping their chamber pots out of windows. Because, <laughs> you know, they had no idea that that was an issue. Yeah. Yersinia pestis initially started out infecting fleas and would cause a blockage in the digestive tracts of these fleas by creating a scummy colony known as a biofilm. Ew. Once a biofilm has cemented and established, it is incredibly tough and would take a concentrated effort to scrape off. So obviously Mm -hmm. with it forming inside these fleas, there's no way in hell it's getting, it's going away. Yeah. This biofilm would form over the fleas' esophagus, thus making it impossible for them to ingest the blood they are attempting to consume, and yeah. they would throw it back up into the bloodstream, causing Ugh. sepsis or blood poisoning. Ew. Yeah. Unable to actually eat would lead the fleas to becoming more aggressive in their search for food as they spread throughout the crowded cities. Mm-hmm. The CDC describes the causes and symptoms of exposure to the plague bacteria, Y. pestis. Bubonic plague usually starts from the bite of an infected flea, leading to the development of sudden onset of fever, headache, chills, weakness, or and one or more swollen, tender, and painful lymph nodes, called bubos, closest to where the bacteria enter the body. Mm-hmm. If not treated properly, the bacteria can spread to other parts of the body and can lead to septicemic plague. Septicemic plague also brings on the development of fever chills, extreme weakness, and abdominal pain, shock, and possibly bleeding into the skin and other organs. Yeah. Which kind of leads to that blackening skin. Hence the Black Death. This form is caused either by untreated bubonic plague or from the bite of an infected flea or handling an infected animal. Pneumonic plague can develop from untreated bubonic or septicemic plague, which has spread to the lungs, or it can come from inhaling infectious droplets. Pneumonic plague is the only form of the plague that can be spread from person to person. This form Mm. results in the development of fever, headache, weakness, and a rapidly developing pneumonia with shortness of breath, chest pain, and sometimes bloody or watery mucus. Back in these times, however, germ theory was not a thing. Yeah. The dominant medical theories at the time were called humorism and miasma theory. Okay. Humorism believed that disease was caused by an imbalance of one of the four humors within the body. So yellow bile, black bile, mucus, and blood. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Miasma theory held that disease was caused by, quote, bad air from rotting okay. organic matter that would infect people through their respiratory system and skin. You know? They're not entirely wrong. They're not entirely wrong. Yeah. But while they're not entirely wrong, the, yeah. the people and especially the physicians at the time were going about the protecting themselves in all the wrong ways yeah so they were just kind of like walking in and like oh I'll just do these things I'll, t- I'll talk about like the actual treatments some of the treatments they did later they're pretty barbaric this lack of knowledge led to at least a couple more major outbreaks of the plague in the 16th and 17th century leading to millions more dead throughout italy and france 
These later outbreaks led to the inception and use of the outfits that are today considered the trademark outfit of Plague Doctors, but I'll be coming back to them after our lovely tour guide Jen takes us to her location. Yeah. So we will be stepping into the portal. Here we go. Hello, welcome to Povelia Island. Mm. Wasn't it lovely? <clears throat> Do you just smell the death and decay? <laughs> So, Pavelia Island is an island marked by death, decay, and dread from its earliest recorded entry in history in the 5th century, although one source I read said it could have been populated as early as 2000 BC, but in the 5th century, Romans evaded barbarian invasions and fled to the small island of Pavelia. All right. This island, as well as many others in the Venetian Lagoon, was used as a defensible outpost against many invaders due to its geographic location. For centuries, Romans fought off hordes of invaders, and many would flee to these islands so the lands were no stranger to bloodshed. No oh boy. centuries of war. Yeah. Isn't that like most of our history, though? Like human history? Yes. <laughs> Over time, as refugees fled to Povelia, the population grew and Povelia thrived. So the tiny island was populated until about 1379 when the inhabitants were forced to evacuate due to an oncoming attack from the Genoese naval fleets. Okay. And actually the octagonal fort you can see over there mm -hmm. was constructed as a defense structure to fight off these attacks and it still stands today. So Clearly. there were even rumors that during the centuries it was uninhabited. Napoleon Bonaparte used Pavelia as a secret base to store military weapons. All right. So, and then once his enemies found out, they attacked. And this could possibly be proven by the fact that there are multiple French warships sunken in the Venetian lagoons. Ooh, creepy. Again, contributing to the bloodshed of the island. <laughs> Yay, bloodshed. <sighs> Venice was known to have extremely strict sanitation laws since they were a central hub for international trade, which made them susceptible to the spread of the plague, as you said. Yep. Although they didn't understand how infections worked, again, like what you said... <laughs> They did know that if you separate the sick from the healthy, you decrease your chances of spreading the disease. Well, that's pretty solid logic. Yeah. So during the bubonic plague outbreak in the early 1400s, lazarettos, which were quarantine stationed where institutions or hospitals were set up to quarantine the ill or potentially ill maritime travelers to prevent spreading the disease to the main city of Venice. Ah, gotcha. For like 40 days, right? Yep. So the first lazaretto form was called the Lazaretto Vecchio. Those who were quarantined were to remain on these islands for 40 days to ensure that the ship's travelers were free from the plague. In fact, the word quarantine stems from the system since the Italian word for 40 is quaranta. Yes. I thought that was really interesting considering we were in quarantine for the last six months. <laughs> I don't even know where it comes from. Yeah. <laughs> six months is longer than 40 days. But. Yeah. In 1485, when Venice's ruler died from the plague, the city hunkered down and created quarantine colonies on the islands instead of just having them as port check-ins for the maritime travelers. Okay. Anyone who had the plague or even showed the mildest symptoms were shipped off to the lazarettos until they recovered or died. Which is pretty much guaranteed death at that point. Yep. Pavelia was one of these lazarettos, and although it wasn't used during the early outbreaks of the plague, it was used for the later outbreaks. So there were multiple outbreaks of the plague, not just the ones in the 1300s, 1400s. Right. When Venice was overrun with the sick and dying, these islands were used as dumping grounds for corpses and those too sick to fight. Okay. They had these mass graves on the mainland, yeah. and when they became overrun, that's when they started using these islands as mass graves. Yeah, didn't you find something where they kept digging it up and throwing more bodies in and then burying it again? So it's like, let's just yeah. keep re-exposing the air. They just pile bodies on top of bodies. 
So sometimes people were ripped from their families and were brought to the island kicking and screaming. Oh, God. Rarely did anyone ever make it off these islands. Once they were sent there, it was pretty much an immediate death sentence. Yeah, that's awful. So, but earlier, before they became the quarantine colonies, right. when they were just the, st- the stations, like when the the maritime travelers were just on their ships, it was like, okay, like they just mm-hmm. kind of chilled there for 40 days and, you know, they had food, they had water, like they just were chilling and they could send letters and stuff to their family. Right. And one of the things that they would do to prevent the spread of the disease is they would stab and fumigate the letter before they sent it off. Oh my God. <laughs> because they didn't know like what caused it, but they're like, well, you could potentially be infected. So <laughs> let's do this shit first. <laughs> But right. anyway, after the it was after like when the plague just got like really out crazy and out of hand and they were using these islands as mass grave grave sites. That's when people were just getting thrown there for having the mildest symptoms. Like you could have a cough or like a sniffle. Right. And they're like, plague. <gasps> I mean, yeah, people joke about that now when somebody coughs or sneezes. It's just like, yeah. <gasps> it's like you're afraid to have your normal seasonal allergies and yeah, of COVID. <laughs> I know. Of course it would happen when everybody's got allergies. Yeah. Like right in the middle of fucking spring. Yeah. <sighs> People were forced to live in filthy conditions, waiting in fear as they watched thousands of bodies pile on top of other bodies and were either buried or incinerated to prevent the spread of the disease. Mm-hmm. Some stories even say that not everyone was dead when they were thrown into the grave pits and oh, that God. people were buried or burned alive. Uh, they just had no regard for anybody. They're just like, no, you fucking get in the pit. You're diseased. Yeah. Yeah. So it was said that these grave pits were unmarked and unknown on Povelia, at least. However, some say that they're underneath the area of the island where food was once cultivated when Povelia was thriving with a population. Mm. And now it's a small vineyard. Um, yeah. I, I feel yeah. like I don't want that wine. <laughs> <laughs> During an excavation in the early 2000s, archaeologists found evidence of these grave pits on Lazaretto Vecchio, an estimated account of about 1,500 skeletons of plague victims. Oh, shit. But obviously, there's probably a shit ton more. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of these lazarettos haven't been excavated, Povelia being one of them. Yeah. So Povelia has yet to be investigated, uh, so people can only speculate how many bodies were actually buried on the island. Yeah. But with that being said... Rumors say that about 160,000 people have died on Povelia, men, women, even children, and that 50% of the island's soil is made of the ash of the burned bodies of the plague victims. Okay. That's really creepy if it's true. Yeah. Some locals even say that fishermen fear casting their nets near the island in fear of catching charred skeletal remains. All right. I mean, I guess that's not any more crazy than me not wanting the wine from the vineyard. (laughs) So I don't know if this is true or not, but I did read that these charred bones and skeletal remains do wash up on the shore frequently. Okay. But. Again, no no true. proof. Yeah. Yep. In 1776, after the worst of the plague was over, the public health office took over the island and used it once again as a quarantine station for maritime travelers. Any ship traveling to Venice had to stop at Pavelia for inspection, and anyone who showed signs of the plague had to be quarantined on the island. During this time, two ships were said to have failed inspection in the 1790s, and Pavelia once again became a quarantine colony until the early 1800s when the hospital shut down. All right. 
After centuries of being showered and bloodshed from war to the victims of the plague, Pavelia remained abandoned until 1922 when they decided to remarket the hospital by turning it into a mental hospital. Okay. Different sources say that this wasn't a mental hospital. In fact, it was a hospice for the elderly. However, there's evidence that even if it wasn't a full-fledged mental hospital, there was at least a psychiatric ward present in this hospital. (laughs) Because on the abandoned building... In Italian, it says, like, psychiatric department or psychiatric ward or something. Right. That's... Like, it's freaking scrawled on the building. Yeah, so there's there's no denying that. There's no denying least. that there was at least a psychiatric ward if it wasn't a full-fledged mental hospital. Right. Oh, yeah, let's just ditch our old people over there. Who cares if it's haunted? Right. It depends <laughs> on the mean. source you look at, but it's either an elderly home or a mental hospital. Either way, both are, like... <laughs> I don't know. What's the word I want? They're very... um, Morbid? No, it's not at risk. It's a different, like, vulnerable. It's a a vulnerable population. Yeah, they're just throwing these vulnerable populations on. They're like, ah, whatever. Nothing's going to happen there. Just put it on the island. It's like, yeah, "Yeah, but so many people died there. (laughs) (laughs) So, now we all know how comfortable, accommodating, and cheery mental hospitals used to be, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, the same could probably be said about old folks' homes, so... (laughs) Yeah. So, and also given the dark history of the island, a mental hospital could only serve to brighten it up, right? Of course. Yeah, for sure. 100%. That's how that works. Sense the sarcasm. Mm. But patients at this mental hospital could have been sent here initially for all sorts of reasons, from relatively benign cases like depression to more severe cases like schizophrenia or something like that. Right. If they were insane prior to arriving on the island, they soon were driven mad by the sight of the ghosts and burning and rotting plague victims. Oh, boy. And hearing their wails and cries for help. Aww. These claims were dismissed as hallucinations and outbursts from an already deranged individual, however. Of course. That's fucked. Rumors around the mental hospital state that since this was such a secluded island and hospital, that it allowed immoral doctors to experiment and torture patients with lobotomies and electric shock to be their signature procedure. I actually believe that 100%. Apparently, the doctor was adamant about becoming famous for curing or figuring out why people are insane. Mm. He used all manner of tools to perform these lobotomies, such as hammer and nail, Uh, drills, chisels, without any real basis for why or how he performed them. He uh, just fucking stuck them in the head. uh, He also had an absolute disregard for sanitary conditions or even using anesthesia on the patients. Oh, God. That makes me think of the episode of, isn't it Lore, with the ice pick? Yeah. Yeah. Doctors just fucking stuck shit in your brain and then just poke them in your brain and see what happens. Right? (laughs) Dumb. (laughs) He was said to have frequently performed these procedures at the top of the bell tower. That is still present, as you can see. Uh. So in the 1930s, the doctor supposedly went insane because he started to also see not only the ghosts of the plague victims that infested the island, but also the ghosts of his tortured victims. Well, I mean, he kind of deserves it. Yes. So plagued by their cries for help and accusations of torture and murder, he went to the top of the bell tower and threw himself off. I see what you did there. (laughs) I thought you'd catch that. (laughs) Others say he was pushed by the spirits of his victims or that his patients brought him up there and threw him off. Either way, deserved. Either way, he fell off the bell tower. (laughs) So a nurse who supposedly witnessed this stated that he didn't die immediately. And when he hit the ground and she went to check on him, he was barely alive. But a black mist came from the ground and strangled him until he finally died. That's interesting. But again, definitely deserved it. Yep. Another rumor stated that his patients bricked up his body in the bell tower or that they just locked him up in there while he was still alive. 
Uh, okay, so either he fell off the bell tower or he died in the bell tower. Either way, the bell tower plays a role in his death. Yes. Gotcha. The hospital was finally closed in 1968, and Pavelia once again remained abandoned, where nature has reclaimed its dominance. Locals reported to still hear the bell in the bell tower ringing, even though the bell was removed long ago. That's creepy. Or they hear cries and moans emanating from the island. Uh, so could you just imagine having like a nice peaceful night with your family or something, like fishing, and you just hear plague victims uh, moaning and groaning? <laughs> so the remaining buildings are dilapidated and crumbling as plant life has grown inside all cracks and crevices. Rusted beds, tables, and medical equipment just lay haphazardly across the interior of the hospital and graffiti litters the walls from trespassers. So it's as if they just kind of like up and left one day without taking Yeah, pretty the- much when they decided that they're closing the hospital back in 1968, they're just like, well, fucking someone else can deal with this shit. We don't need any of those tools. We have plenty. Really? Yeah. That feels wrong. <sighs> the earth claims all. Yeah, it, it really reminds me of like Last of Us because like I remember like seeing how nature just like takes over these buildings. I'm like, would that really happen? And it then does. These buildings, and it's like it does happen. Yeah, there's yeah. Pl- there's so many pictures out there of it just reclaiming mm-hmm. things that were just left abandoned. It's amazing. Yeah, plant life is fucking like brutal. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, once you know, once uh, humanity dies, if we don't kill yeah. the planet with us, the planet will yeah. live on, no yeah. problems. Today, you can see scaffolding alongside the hospital, and rumors stated that there was an attempt to renovate it. However, construction workers were spooked and abandoned the project. Oh, yeah. An article written by Ransom Briggs stated when he asked his guide the real reason behind the scaffolding, he was told that it was placed there to prevent further decay of the building, and it wasn't the result of an abandoned renovation project. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. That seems weird, though. People just make up rumors. I mean, even if that was the case, why I'm picturing scaffolding that gets used. Like, you don't just put scaffolding up and leave it. Like, that's generally not how that works. I I mean, one of them feels like a cover-up story. Oh, yeah. And like, no, 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 no. We we put those up there because that's that's how we're fixing it. That's not true. Right. (laughs) Although it is illegal and off-limits to visit Povelia, so don't tell anybody we're here. Unless you go through an extensive application process for approval by the Italian government, it isn't entirely out of the question. Unless, because we have special portals. <laughs> Apparently, you can find a local who would be willing to charter you there at your own risk for a fair bit of money. However, a lot of these people refuse to step foot on the island themselves and will just instead drop you off and peace out until they come pick you up later. Uh, I can believe that. I wonder, do they get close enough that like you can get out 
kind of safely or do they like several feet away yeah and there's like a little set of stairs that you can like park your boat at and then like ah, go up from there so they're not that uh, scared when you set foot on the island immediately the heavy feeling of being watched overcomes you and there's a severe sense of dread there have been reports of being followed by shadow entities within the buildings crawling along the walls do any of you feel watched right now i do <laughs> so, <laughs> it's oppressive being physically shoved into walls and hearing disembodied voices wailing in agony. Aww. People have also heard angry voices telling them to leave or get out, and others reported being slapped, scratched, or choked. Yikes. Entities can be seen and heard in the plague field where the mass graves were supposedly located. Some people have said that they can smell sulfur and burning wood. Mm-hmm. Psychics who have visited the island say its long history of suffering has left it with a very vicious and malignant aura and most refuse to ever go back. Oh. Yeah. Attempts to inhabit the island have obviously been met with failure. There was a rumor, again, a rumor, that a family wanted to build a vacation home there. Why? And on their first night staying there, their daughter ended up with deep cuts on her face that needed 14 stitches. Oh. The family refused to comment what had happened on the island, so of course speculation states that the evil entities didn't approve of them wanting to vacation there. I They're mean, like, we have been suffering for centuries yeah. and you want a vacation? Fucking no. Yeah. Find any <laughs> literally anywhere else. In 2014, plagued by debt. <laughs> you can't Italian keep government. doing it. It doesn't hit the same. <laughs> the Italian government attempted to give a 99-year lease to the highest bidder. They were hoping someone would buy the agreement in order to build a luxury hotel for tourists to help rid the country of some of that debt. Mm-hmm. Frustrated that Venice continues to be overrun by tourism and fearful that their history continues to diminish as a result, a private group formed called Pavelia Pertuti, or Pavelia for Everyone. Okay. They wanted to purchase the island to use it as a space for recreation and camping, where people can just relax instead of adding to the continuous maze of luxury resorts that cluttered the Venetian lagoons. But I mean, that kind of sounds like taking your history and turning it into a tourist destination. They so... don't want, they wanted it to be for locals. Ah. They wanted this to be a space for locals. Gotcha. Okay. That they, makes they, it They're little... tired of the, of Venice being overrun by tourism, which right. the luxury hotels would invite tourism. Right. That makes so a little more sense. they didn't want to have yet another luxury hotel. They just wanted a space to chill out. Yeah. That makes sense. So they offered if anyone who's interested will pitch in 99 euro that they could stake a claim to the island for the whole community to visit and enjoy. They were able to garner 444,000 euro. Wow. While Luigi Bernaro, a businessman, entrepreneur, and now mayor of Venice, placed a winning bid of 513,000 euros. Since Pavelia Pertutti knew that they couldn't outbid him, they set out to frustrate him instead. (laughs) So this was an auction. Right. But these were the only two people who were bidding. Of course, because nobody wants that shit. Yeah. So Pavelia Pertutti didn't counter offer. And as a result, Luigi couldn't increase his offer. Mm Mm-hmm. So since his initial offer was so low, the government canceled the auction. Ah. The government was hoping for something around 10 million euro. Holy shit. And since the offer was too low, there was no use accepting, saying, quote, selling Pavelia with its history and tradition for just one hour of interest on our national debt is criminal. Uh, So essentially to them, 500,000 euro isn't worth it. Yeah. There are millions of euro in debt that this half, half a million euro wouldn't put a dent in their debt so what's the point yeah yeah so all right nobody owns it 
The government owns it still. <laughs> well, of course. In 2016, a group called the Young Arch- Architects Association launched a competition for designers and architects to submit ideas in order to revive the lost island of Pavelia. The parameters included to create a university campus where students could participate in leisure activities as well as their studies. Again, all of this feels like it's just not where you want to put it. Yeah. Even still to this day, Pavelia remains abandoned with its crumbling buildings shrouded in torment and sadness, haunted by the thousands of people who have died on its soil. Mm. So with that said, let's check in with the eccentric paranormal TV show Ghost Adventures. Oh boy, everyone's favorite dramatic team. Let's see what they're up to. <laughs> so in 2009, Zach, Nick, and Aaron are locked down on Pavelia, where Zach's first words upon landing on the <laughs> island were, you have reached your final destination. Oh my Hell. God. <laughs> <sighs> Such a drama queen. So honestly, this was one of the creepier episodes I've seen of Ghost Adventures. Yeah, it's and a good one. I take it with a grain of salt when I watch them, but some of the things they allegedly caught were creepy AF. Yeah, I do like the evidence they get, but the dramatics are just... Right. So they caught a lot of EVPs, heard footsteps, and caught orbs on camera. And what I really respected is even though it was like horrible Italian, they made an attempt to talk to the spirits in Italian. Mm. Because honestly, if you think about it, if the ghost doesn't speak English, it's not going to understand you, therefore can't respond. Or if it responds, it's not going to respond in English. Or it's not going to respond in an intelligent-seeming way. Like, yeah. even if you can translate the response, it's not going to be a response to what you said. It'll be like, what? Like, what the fuck? What did you say? Like, I don't speak English. Yeah, no, no English. Yeah. So, although it was, like, horrible Italian, they attempted, which I respect. Right. So... At one point, Nick pleaded with the spirits to use their energy, and it was then that they all felt a sap of energy. Mm-hmm. Aaron felt lightheaded and couldn't stand up following the sound of a loud bang, and when they looked back at the footage, an orb was shooting into Aaron's neck. Ooh. They had spikes in their EMF detectors, which would be weird considering there's no electricity on the island. Right. So where are these spikes coming from? Yeah. The scariest part of the episode was when Zach allegedly got possessed in the hospital. And you can see his facial expression change, and he was just extremely angry and glaring at Nick and Aaron. Like, it's like night and day. You can see his facial expression just change mm-hmm. immediately. And he went off on Aaron yelling, get the fuck out of here. Like, he just, like, kept yelling at them. Mm-hmm. And what was scarier about this encounter was Zach straight up had a machete in his hand. Uh, yeah. So Nick and Aaron felt threatened. Yeah. And Zach was, like, banging on the wall super hard, telling whatever it was that was possessing him to stop, even though they asked for it, but... Well, also, isn't that, like, not how getting possessions out works? Like, you don't just, please get out, and then they just, like, okay, sorry. Yeah. It's generally not how that works. Nick had to force him to leave the room, and as soon as they were out in the clear, Zach started acting normal again, and he said he couldn't remember anything at all, but he all he remembered was seeing, like, a red filter over his eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. And he had an extreme feeling of anger and hatred, like he was just angry. Right. He didn't remember anything that happened. A little surprised he didn't actually use, I mean, they wouldn't on this TV show, but I mean, you would think it would know, oh, this is a weapon and I'm upset. Yeah. Maybe had he stayed in the room longer if Nick couldn't get him out. Yeah. If he hadn't had enough willpower to make himself leave or make yell at it Mm -hmm. to stop. Yeah. So after this, they decide to investigate in the open field of the island where the supposed mass graves were. Here they heard a disembodied scream, and it's pretty clear, mm-hmm. and it's creepy. Yeah. And they also smelled the odor of something burning. <laughs> mm. Zach also wore a plague doctor mask, <laughs> taunting the spirits, 
Aaron was up on a bridge, and it was at this time that you hear footsteps running towards Aaron through the grass and up the bridge. No, thank you. And there was a, a light on a tripod next to him and it knocked over. Oh, like, shit. The entity, like, ran through, went, went, up the, went up the bridge and knocked over this light. Yikes. Yeah. And also in this field, they caught, like, a white apparition, like, just floating through the field. Mm-hmm. At another time during the investigation, they played a recorded message on loop of questions in Italian to ask the entities, and they left this boombox in a building by itself, and they set a digital recorder next to it, and then they just left it alone. Right. They also they captured multiple EVPs on the digital recorder, mm-hmm. and one even said, I'm here, come here, in Italian. Aw, see, that feels like a like, tease please. to them. Yeah. Later on, they had left a static X camera in one room while Nick was in that same room, his handheld camera was sapped of energy, and at the same time, you hear a disembodied voice of moaning. Mm. And after Nick left this room, and the static camera is left running by itself, you see a black mist come from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. It like comes and stretches halfway down and then goes back into the ceiling. I wonder if it's the same black mist that killed the doctor. Maybe. Mm. I don't remember what building this was. Yeah, but I mean, supposedly it came out of the ground, so maybe it just permeates the island. Yeah. So, but yeah, with all the theatrics or not, this was one of the more active episodes I've seen of Ghost Adventures, so check it out if you're a fan. Yeah, or even if you're not a fan, if you're into watching something paranormal, if you can get past the dramatics in small doses. Yeah, Yeah, the evidence that they caught, yeah, it was actually pretty good on on this. Yeah. So that's going to do it for Pavelia Island. So we're going to jump back into the portal, and tour guide Christine is going to take us to visit. Somebody. <laughs> Alrighty. So since the Plague Doctors we will be discussing are no longer around, as I mentioned before, I figured the best place to go to talk about them is the SCP Foundation, where they happen to have a Plague Doctor anomaly secured. Fun. Yeah. So let's go ahead and step in the portal. Ah, I wasn't aware we had company. We rarely get visitors down here. Greetings. Yeah, I, I know. He he seems very kind, but keep your distance from his containment anyway. I'll talk about him later. He's just staring. I know. He, yeah. Just just keep away. He has a tendency to sense things hmm. that we, we don't. I sense the disease in you. Oh, wait, Janelle. I need you to get a little further away from him. Yep. Uh, you are not a doctor. I know I'm not, but she is. Jen, you're a doctor. Deal with him. Mm. All right. So the plague doctors had always been around performing their medieval medical practices to help people balance whatever humors they believed were out of balance with practices such as bloodletting, chewing certain herbs or heating jars to put on the skin, to name a few, to kind of get rid of the boils and stuff. Yeah. Hmm, Interesting. The jobs of the plague doctors of this era were to diagnose and treat patients, oversee the last will and testament of the dead and dying, and bury and record the dead. Mm Mm-hmm. The official uniform of the Plague Doctor wasn't invented until 1619 because, while not as bad as the outbreak of the Plague Death in the 14th century, the bubonic plague continued to ravage Europe for over 250 years. The 17th century hazmat suit, if you will, was conceived by Charles de Lorme, the chief physician to King Louis XIII of France, among a couple other kings. Mm Mm-hmm. Delorme wrote of the costume that, quote, the nose is half a foot long, shaped like a beak, filled with perfume. 
Under the coat, we wear boots made of Moroccan leather or goat leather and a short-sleeved blouse in smooth skin. The hat and gloves are also made of the same skin with spectacles over the eyes. Okay. So essentially, they're protected from head to toe for the most part. Yeah. It's said that the cloak of the plague doctor costume is made up of waxy leather covered in animal fat in order to prevent miasma entering through the pores, a prominent Mm. black top hat in order to indicate that the person is in fact a doctor, and a beaked (laughs) mask, which often held strongly aromatic herbs, which would filter out the miasma. Which herbs they were varies from source to source. Sometimes they would even set the herbs smoldering within the mask to help their potency, or they would even use a vinegar-soaked sponge. They would (laughs) also carry around a wooden cane with them to keep a safe distance from their patients and allegedly protect themselves from desperate infected people. Social distancing. Yes. They would also sometimes <laughs> apparently use it to like check pulses, maybe indicate where they want people to help them out because maybe it was difficult to hear them speaking through the mask is kind of the idea. Okay. How do they use it to check a pulse? I guess push it into the neck. Interesting. <laughs> and then you can feel the vibrations. I don't know. That's, again, what they use the stick for specifically. It kind of also varies from source to source, but for the most part, a lot of people seem to agree that it was to keep people away from them and yeah. to help them kind of indicate what they Social want. Social distance. <laughs> While right. their reasoning for the makeup of the outfit was sound within their flawed knowledge, there were definitely some glaring issues with the getup. There mm-hmm. were obviously air holes poked into the ma- the beak True. to allow the doctors to breathe and their ankles were also exposed to the elements which were apparently a favorite place for the infected fleas to attack. Oh. It has been argued that the plague doctors actually did more harm than good during this time and that the confidence in wearing this new protective outfit may have been the cause. Hmm. Since transmission of the disease was still not fully understood, these doctors likely didn't change or clean their clothes before seeing new patients and may also have been spreading the disease with their canes. (sighs) The Germans apparently like to make fun of the plague doctor outfits, calling them Dr. Beak or Beaky. (laughs) Beaky. Beyond the written descriptions of the outfit by Charles Delorme in 1619, a German engraver in 1656 named Gerhard Alzenbach published a popular image of a plague doctor in their full outfit along with a description of how it protects the wearer against death. Mm-hmm. One famous illustration by Paulus I called Dr. Schnabel von Rom, okay. or Dr. Beaky from Rome, Dr. Beaky. took Alzenbach's work and made it a satirical image claiming that the plague doctor does nothing but terrify people and take money from the dead and dying. Okay. First's image added extra elements to the outfit, which have stuck around today, including claw-like gloves and a pointing stick topped with a bat-winged hourglass. Hourglass. Yeah. This counting down the time you have left on this earth. Yep. They just made it as uh, dark as they could. (laughs) According to National Geographic, quote, the look became so iconic in Italy that the plague doctors became a staple of Italian commedia dell'arte and Mm -hmm. is even still a popular costume choice for carnival in Venice. So they often wear the mask. Yeah. Due to a lack of historical writings from the period to clarify and back up the role of the plague doctors and what they wore, there is much debate as to how prevalent the beaked costume actually was and which came first, the theatrical representations or the protective wear. He does have like a creepy image and it would make sense that they would create something so dramatic to represent something like the plague. Right. Yeah. One thing that does seem certain, though, nearly all of the plague doctors either died or disappeared before the end of the outbreaks. Mm-hmm. So they would, some of them just left. Okay. The costume itself and the environment in which it was born have carried with it terrifying connotations for people in today's society. It is a reminder mm-hmm. of a more barbaric time and of all the death that was overseen by people wearing the outfit. Yeah. So at least one source mentioned that some places wouldn't even be aware of an outbreak in the area until a doctor showed up. 
Oh, fuck. So in their minds, the doctors brought death. Mm. Thus, it is no wonder that the look of the plague doctor has been used to instill fear throughout appearances and pop culture. Yeah. One of Batman's foes, Mary Maker, dresses like a plague doctor and is a former doctor of Arkham Asylum before being fired for his violent treatments of patients, later opening his own practice for the Joker-obsessed and creating the League of Smiles. Did they, like, give the scars? No, they were just... He just kind of, like, sent them out to cause distractions for Batman so that he could take people out that had wronged him. Hmm. So it was just kind of some great big, you know, smokescreen, if you will. All right. Dark Horse Comics have a six-comic horror miniseries called Deathhead that revolves around a murderous plague doctor. Okay. Baron Octavius, dying of the Black Death, first appears flanked by plague doctors in Marvel 1602 Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. The fifth episode in season 13 of Supernatural features a vengeful spirit of a deranged doctor that would drill holes into his patient's skulls and haunted his collection of plague masks. His face was also a plague mask. That was a creepy episode. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Adventure Time, My Little Pony, and Disenchantment all feature a character in at least- (laughs) My Little Pony again. (laughs) Yep. All feature a character in at least a Plague Doctor mask in one episode as well. Okay. Several movies make small reference to Plague Doctors with them mostly appearing in the background. A number of video games feature characters and outfits that look like the Plague Doctor's costumes, such as The Legend of Zelda, Pathologic, Path of Exile, Payday 2, and Overwatch, to name a handful. World of Warcraft has the Grand Apothecary Putris, who wears a Plague Doctor outfit and is a plague spreader. Mm. Other games feature characters and quests that actually involve a plague in some fashion, like RuneScape, Town of Salem, Bloodborne, and Darkest Dungeon. Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood have a multiplayer character who is a doctor and is called Jack the Ripoff. (laughs) Nice. In Hitman, the player can don Silvio Caruso's antique plague doctor outfit and use it as a disguise which may prompt some passers-by to comment that you've been playing too much assassin's creed okay most notable for me personally is this strange gentleman contained here called scp-049 or simply plague doctor hello the game scp containment breach came out in 2012 and has the player attempting to escape the foundation during a containment breach Mm -hmm. players must survive against a handful of hostile anomalies including 049 as well as the human militant task force sent to secure the facility nine-tailed fox scp foundation is a fictional group of researchers and d-class or disposable personnel within secure facilities across the globe tasked with containing studying and documenting dangerous anomalies Mm -hmm. the foundation uses its own classification system to determine the threat level of every anomaly 049's classification is euclid which means it is an unpredictable object that's somewhat dangerous to interact with yep so that's why keep your distance do not be afraid I am the cure. 049 is a humanoid anomaly whose appearance is that of a plague doctor, though not as if it is a person wearing a costume, but more like the costume is the person. Despite this, x-rays have shown a human skeletal structure beneath the outer layer. The following are excerpts from the SCP Foundation entry regarding SCP-049. While SCP-049 is generally cooperative with most Foundation personnel, outbursts and sudden changes in behavior are to be met with elevated force. Under no circumstances should any personnel come into direct contact with SCP-049 during these outbursts. In the event SCP-049 becomes aggressive, the application of lavender has been shown to produce a calming effect on the entity. Interesting. Once calmed, SCP-049 will generally becomes compliant and will return to containment with little resistance. Mm-hmm. SCP-049 is capable of speech in a variety of languages, though tends to prefer English or medieval French. Okay. 
While SCP-049 is generally cordial and cooperative with Foundation staff, it can become especially irritated or at times outright aggressive when it feels that it is in the presence of what it calls the pestilence, often having to be restrained should it encounter such. If left unchecked, SCP-049 will generally attempt to kill any such individual. SCP-049 is capable of causing all biological functions of an organism to cease through direct skin contact. SCP-049 has expressed frustration or remorse after these killings, indicating that they have done little to kill the pestilence, Mm -hmm. though will usually seek to perform a crude surgery on the corpse using the implements contained within a black doctor's bag it carries on its person at all times. Mm -hmm. While these surgeries are not always successful, they often result in the creation of instances of SCP-049-2. These instances are basically reanimated corpses and are generally inactive unless provoked or directed by SCP-049, in which case they will become aggressive. Interesting. So So, so mind-controlled zombies. Yep, zombies he controls. (laughs) 049s considers these beings to be, quote, cured okay and that is all i have on the plague doctors i just got a plague doctor yeah are you gonna name him <laughs> dr beaky i'm gonna name him dr beaky <laughs> i'll post a picture of him on social media <laughs> you can say hi to dr beaky all right let's step back through the portal and head back towards the bus yep back to the safety of nopeville yep Okay, now that we're back at the bus, let's do a quick head count. Uh, looks like we're missing Jim. Oh, great. Um, he was there in the foundation. Oh. Uh, oh. Oh my, yet another victim of the disease. Well, that's not good. All right. Well, so that happened. So anyway, if you enjoyed your tour today, please leave us a review on wherever you booked your tour. Reviews help us grow and reach more listeners so we can provide you with more tours and, yeah. you know, bring more people here since we keep losing them. Yeah. Remember to visit our website at nopevillepodcast.com where you will have access to our show notes and anything we referenced in today's tour. And you'll be able to find us and follow us on all of our social media for updates, polls, events, or just interacting with us, which is NopevilleCast on Twitter and Nopeville Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Uh-huh. If you want to be a part of our campfire stories, which are stories you submit for us to read, either fiction or nonfiction, you can submit them through the Contact Us form on our website and select Campfire Stories or send an email to us at nopevillepodcast at gmail.com and be sure to write uh-huh. Campfire Stories in your subject line so we know what you're emailing us about. Yep. Also, no tour is complete without first stopping by the gift shop before you leave. Go ahead mm-hmm. and click on the gift shop on our website and be sure to pick up a souvenir for yourself and a loved one. Yep. And last but not least, gratuity isn't required, but sure is appreciated. Visit our Patreon to see how you can support us and get some awesome rewards in return, like limited edition coins, t-shirts, lanyards, yep. stickers. You can be a tourist on our tours. Yep, and you can listen to all of our random thoughts, which I actually have a kind of current day appearance of a plague doctor that I'll be discussing in the afterthoughts. All right. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for stopping by. Bye. Bye. Ring a ring a rosies, a pocket full of posies, a tissue, a tissue, we all fall down. Hey girl, hey, it's Dean and Danny from Curiously Morbid Podcast. We're just jumping in to tell you a little bit about our podcast, Curiously Morbid. 
Every Monday, join us for true crime cases and all things murder. Don't worry, they're not too serious. I like to interject. I can't deal with seriousness. And also join us every Friday for freaky topics, which range from alien abductions to witches. So to cut to the chase, Danny experiences ghosts every day. I got abducted by aliens. If you want to know how, join us at Curiously Morbid, wherever you get your podcast. Stay curious. Stay morbid. I'm John Gully, and I'm a true crime audiobook narrator. And I'm true crime author Jeffrey Dean Doty. And we're your hosts for the true crime podcast, Speaking of Crime. We both have been fascinated by crime, criminals, and people who investigate them ever since we were young. And that's been a long time. As a true crime writer, I'm used to asking questions and getting answers. As a narrator, I'm used to talking about crime and discussing cases with authors. You'll be surprised by the cases we cover and by the people we talk to. So we hope you listen every week as we delve deep into the world of crime and talk to the people involved. You can find Speaking of Crime on Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or almost anywhere you listen to podcasts. Join us for the show So Good It's Criminal. Take my advice and give us a try. You'll thank me later. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.